Open up your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 29. I got to like refocus here. Proverbs 29. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's great. It's great to be here with y'all. This is great. Proverbs chapter 29. Last night, we learned about the fear of the Lord. And how the fear of the Lord is what makes all the difference between being wise and being a fool. Fear of the Lord is good. It's necessary. It's important. It's vital to living life well. It's not the only kind of fear out there, though. And this morning, we're going to look at another kind of fear. There's actually a lot of different kinds of fear that are out there. Not long ago, I was golfing with my brother-in-law, and we saw a snake. My brother-in-law, he does not like snakes. I mean, look, I don't like snakes either, but I don't turn into a little girl when I see one. My brother-in-law, he was terrified. I looked it up later, and I discovered that he has ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia. It's the fear of snakes. Right? I love these phobia words. It turns out there is, there is a phobia word for pretty much everything. And some of these you already know. Somebody with claustrophobia is fear of confined spaces. You've heard of arachnophobia, right? Fear of spiders. I sat down on a little porch swing out on the porch this morning. Like right there, there's a giant spider. I, I moved. I changed my location. I alluded to this last night. I suffer from odontophobia. Fear of dentists. Don't like them. Just don't like them. Not my favorite. But you know what I don't have? I don't have glossophobia. The fear of public speaking. Don't mind it a bit. Now, there's some funny ones out there, too. Some of you have a phobia right now that you didn't even know you have called nomophobia. Nomophobia. It is the fear of being out of cell phone contact. It's terrible. Terrible. And if anybody finds a spot where T-Mobile works, let me know. There's some, there's some really weird ones out there. I read uh, this past week about, I was doing a little research, and I <laughs> read about, let's see if I can even say this, arachibutyrophobia. Arachibutyrophobia. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> Anybody have that? I love peanut butter, so I think that'd be great. Um, there's some really plain ones too. Tetraphobia. Tetraphobia. It's the fear of the number four. <laughs> you know, like, who, really, who, I, I don't know. I don't, I have a hard time with that one. But uh, apparently some people suffer from panphobia. That is the fear of everything. <laughs> and if we keep going, we will have phobophobia, which is the fear of phobias. <laughs> I think we've reached that point. We are done with phobias. And I think, though, if we stood up and we went around the room and we talked about all the things that we were afraid of, we would find a lot of different kinds of phobias in this room. We fear many different things. But we would find also, collectively, there is one fear that nearly all of us have in common. Some of us have this particular fear more than others. Some of us may not even realize that we have this particular fear or have yet to admit even to ourselves that we have this particular fear. But it is a nearly universal fear problem. So, Proverbs 29, 25. It's a very short verse, so I'm going to read it twice. Proverbs 29, 25. 
The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's read it again. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help to understand this fear and resist it. Father in heaven, we love your word because it opens us up. It lays us open. You show us what's going on inside so that we can grow, so that we can be more like Jesus Christ, so that we can walk in righteousness and the fear of the Lord and choose the path of wisdom rather than the path of folly. So this morning we pray that you would open our eyes to what is in your word and what is in our hearts so that we might repent and obey. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. So, obviously the fear that we are talking about this morning is the fear of man. Last night we talked about the fear of the Lord. That's good. You should have that. You should try to get more of that. This morning we're going to talk about one of the biggest obstacles to walking in the fear of the Lord, and that is the fear of man. This is a fear that is very dangerous because it has the potential to dictate how we live our lives, how we think, how we feel, how we speak, how we act. This proverb is very short, very simple. Two lines here, and I'm going to make two points. You can probably guess what my two points are. Number one, the fear of man is dangerous. If you're taking notes, first point, the fear of man is dangerous. I think it might be helpful for us to try to define what is the fear of man. It goes by other names too. Sometimes people call it things like people-pleasing or peer pressure, something like that. A fear of man is one of those phrases that you might think to yourself, I I think I know what you mean by that. Sometimes it's easier to describe than to define. But there is some good help out there to help us think this through and understand what is this. C.J. Mahaney, in a message I heard him give one time, said, The fear of man is an excessive, sinful concern with what others think about us. And inordinate, that means like outsized, supersized, a desire for human approval or intense fear of being rejected. That's a good definition. There is an author named Ed Welch, and he summed it up just in the title of his book. He wrote an entire book on the fear of man, and it's called, When People Are Big and God is Small. That's a great definition. What is the fear of man? Well, it's when people are big, when they consume your vision and your thoughts and your attention. But God is very small. He's not that big. Few things have been more helpful to me in understanding the fear of man in my own life than the writings of C.S. Lewis. And he wrote an essay called The Inner Ring. It's in a book that he wrote called The Weight of Glory. And and the point of The Inner Ring is that he says in, in everybody's life, you are looking at a group of people. There is some group of people that, man, those are the cool kids. And you want to be in that circle, a part of that inner ring. And so in... The Weight of Glory, in this essay, he says, I believe that in all men's lives, at certain periods, and in many men's lives, at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, 
one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside that local ring and the terror of being left outside. If you have ever felt this dominant desire to be inside, to be a part of that group, to to have the inside jokes, to be friends with them, and this terror of being left out. Welcome to the club. You have the fear of man. I might say it like this. The fear of man is caring so much about what other people think of you that it starts to change what you think, feel, say, and do. The fear of man is caring so much about what other people think about you that it starts to change what you think, feel, say, and do. It is sinfully craving people's approval and not trusting God. I think it's very helpful to just acknowledge at the beginning, fear of man is a sin. And actually, that really serves us to admit and acknowledge that fear of man is a sin. If fear of man is just a character trait, if it's just something sort of baked into your human nature, well, then you're stuck with it. How are you ever going to get loose from that? But if fear of man is a sin, great news. You can repent. You can change. You can receive the grace of God to live differently. I think it's very encouraging to think of it as a sin because you can repent, we can change, we know we can be different. Now, I first discovered the temptation to fear of man in my heart in the sixth grade. I didn't know what it was called then, but looking back on it, that's when I first began to experience this in a powerful way. In the sixth grade, my family moved from Milwaukee to Kansas City. Now, we moved around every two to three years growing up. So to me, it was not a big deal. I was already a pro at meeting people and making friends, finding my way on a new baseball team and in a new school. But this was different, partly because it was sixth grade, but mainly because in Milwaukee, sixth grade was the top of elementary school. Man, we were the big dogs. But in Kansas City, sixth grade was the bottom of middle school. And we moved in the middle of the year. And all of a sudden, I had to navigate a class schedule over here, man, one class all day. Over here, seven classes. Every hour, a new thing. I had to navigate, figure out a locker. I couldn't remember my combination. I had to get the kid next to me. Can you open my locker? Um, it, was, it was terrible. Um, it gets worse. I hit puberty pretty early. So I'm like the only sixth grader shaving. <laughs> pimply, this, this cracking voice. I tried to play football, and I'm like, strong side left. And... I was like some kind of freak with my knuckles dragging on the ground. But worst of all, here's the worst thing of all. This is the thing I remember most vividly. In Milwaukee, if you wanted to go to school in the morning, just put your pants on and you went to school. In Kansas City, they had this thing called peg rolling your jeans. And all the kids are just staring at me, but all the parents are like, oh, man. And what you had to do is you had to take the bottom, the sort of the, I'm not wearing jeans, so I can't really do this, but you had to take the bottom of it and like, Fold it over like this and roll it up, like just right, not too far. You had to do it enough that it didn't come loose in the middle of the day. Then you, then you really look stupid walking around with one leg unrolled. And it created this like, this like kind of pointy effect to your pants. And like, no, you don't understand, like everybody, you did not leave the house without your jeans done like this. And it took me forever to get it right. And I had to get it right because it was the only way people did it. My best friend, well, not my best friend, well, my only friend, 
the only person that would sit with me at lunch was this kid named Eddie who carried around a Ziploc bag and would go up to people and ask them for their belly button lint for contributions to his lint collection. Man. First of all, not appetizing while you're eating lunch, but also belly button lint. I was the mayor of Dorkville. Actually, I was the mayor of Worriesville because what I was just absolutely consumed with anxiety all the time. What am I going to do wrong today? How am I going to look stupid today? What, you know, it was, I, went through, I went through that whole school year just terrified of screwing up and looking stupid. The next year was easier. I learned where my classes were. I learned how to use a locker. The next year after that, eighth grade, then we were top dogs again. But then next year, then we were freshmen. Right? You just you keep going through this. The freshman, man, high school, trying to figure it all out again, right back to being one of the runts. What I learned is I never grew out of the fear of man. I never grew out of it. I'm sorry to tell you that it is with me to this day. Now, I imagine there's probably some parallel situation for you. You know in some form that icy grip of fear around your stomach, that same feeling that I had as I walked into Oxford Middle School in Kansas City. Maybe for you there is some 2020 version of peg rolling your pants. I have no idea what it is because I don't care about this stuff anymore. You can probably tell by looking at me. But for you, maybe you would be mortified to be caught wearing clothes that look like something or from a certain store or aren't from a certain store. Maybe, maybe this, maybe you just hate being laughed at. Maybe you cannot laugh at yourself and you can't stand others laughing at you. Welcome to the fear of man. Maybe this, maybe if somebody else is telling a story, man, your mind is just churning and you're thinking, I got, a, I got a story like, I'm going to tell, wait till you hear this. And you've all, man, you're going to one-up them. You've always got a better story. That is the fear of man. What about FOMO-phobia? You heard of this? FOMO, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. Maybe you are just terrified. You're looking at your phone, there's a text thread, you're seeing something on social media. You, man, they're, they're having fun without me. And you are terrified that you're going to be left out of something. It's kind of related to nomophobia, not having that cell phone connection. Maybe you're just nervous all the time, and you're not even sure why. Maybe nobody's ever explained to you how this works, but you walk around, and there's just this steady hum in the background, and you're just thinking all the time, what are people thinking about me? Where do I stand in relation to people? Was that funny? Did what I just said, did that make people laugh? He didn't, mm, I don't know what that look meant. Uh, she, why didn't she come over and sit next to me this time? She didn't, what? My friends, they're with other friends now. What happened? I don't know you guys well enough to know what it is for you, but I know there's something. I've been a pastor long enough. I've been a parent long enough. I've been a human long enough <laughs> to know you got something. And parents, this would be a great conversation to have later. Let's talk through this. Help your teen figure out what is it? Where is the fear of man for you? It's there. It's just a matter of what is it. Now, I would understand if at this point you were thinking to yourself, yeah, but so what? I mean, doesn't everybody deal with this? Everybody cares what people think to some degree or another. 
Why is this so bad? Well, this proverb says that the fear of man lays a snare. Let's think about that for a minute. Let's think about what a snare is. You probably know what a snare is. It's a kind of trap that's used to catch an animal. But the thing about a snare is it doesn't kill the animal right away. It just restrains and restricts that animal so then a hunter can come by later and then kill it. When I was a kid, my mom decorated our house with lots of antique farm implements and stuff. That's what she was into. And on the wall of our family room, we had this massive bear trap. It was huge. This bear trap is like cast iron, this rim. So it's this kind of circular thing that has a, this huge pivot in the middle. So it was these two jaws, bam, that would close like this. And these huge iron teeth and this massive spring in the center. We tested it out one time. Our neighbor was curious and wanted to try it. Took it out in the yard and we threw a tree limb that was about this big around, just like threw it in. And it jumped about as high as my waist and cut that tree limb in half. It was a bear trap. Man, ooh. I used, to, I used to sit on the couch while the TV was on and look at that bear trap and wonder, what would it be like to get my leg caught in that thing? But you know what? I already know. I've been caught in the fear of man before. I know what that would feel like. The fear of man sets a trap for us. The fear of man lays a snare. When we become excessively concerned with what other people think, we begin to be ruled by their opinions. We become ensnared. Our freedom is limited and restricted. We're like a bear with his leg pinned, right? You can no longer do what you want to do or what you ought to do. You can no longer obey God because you care more in that moment about what somebody else thinks than about what somebody else thinks. You follow me in this? The fear of man ensnares us outwardly and it ensnares us inwardly. First, it ensnares us outwardly. The fear of man begins to control our behavior. The more, you con excuse me, the more concerned you are about the opinion of other people, the more your behavior will be determined by what you think will make people happy and will make them like you. It's very simple. Or at least what will keep them from rejecting you. You'll be thinking, how do I act? How do I behave? What do I say? How do I time my joke just right to get into that inner ring? And over time, you will become willing to make compromises or even become willing to sin in order to keep other people's good opinion. That's scary. C.S. Lewis wrote a novel called That Hideous Strength. It's the third book in his Space Trilogy. It's a really weird book. It's a really good book. It's the best weird book I've ever read. No, it's really good. You should read, start with the first one. You should read them all. But one of the main characters in this book is named Mark Studdock. And much of the book traces Mark slowly being sucked into this evil empire by the simple desire to impress his colleagues at work and to win access into this inner ring of popularity in the organization. And there's a moment when he suddenly realizes he's in because his boss starts talking about we. This is what it says from that hideous strength. You would never have guessed from the tone of Mark's reply what intense pleasure he derived from Curry's use of the pronoun 
we. So very recently, he had been an outsider watching the proceedings of what he then called Curry and his gang with awe and with little understanding. But now he was inside and Curry and his gang had become we. It had all happened quite suddenly and was still sweet in the mouth. If you've ever had an inner ring, if you've ever looked at a group of people and thought, man, I want to be in on those jokes. I want to be in on the secret handshakes. I want to be in on the text message thread that they're a part of. Whatever that is for you, you know that sweetness of suddenly finding we. So in this story, soon Mark Studdock's desire for favor leads him deeper and deeper into a plot, an evil plot to take over the world. And there eventually comes a point where his desire to please others makes him do something that he knows to be wrong in order to maintain the good favor of those around him. Listen to what it says of him. This was the first thing Mark had been asked to do, which he himself, before he did it, clearly knew to be criminal, to be wrong, to be sinful. But the moment of his consent almost escaped his notice. Certainly there was no struggle no sense of turning a corner. For him, it all slipped past in a chatter of laughter, of that intimate laughter between fellow professionals, which of all earthly powers is the strongest to make men do very bad things before they are yet individually very bad men. That last phrase, let's pay attention to that. The fear of man can make people do very bad things before they are very bad people. That scene scares the daylights out of me because there is more Mark Studdock in my heart than I would wish for, having been a Christian as long as I have. And I bet there is more in you too. And this scene is so insightful it's one of the greatest insights into how the fear of man works that I've read because look at all it takes, all it takes to get Mark Studdock doing criminal things that he knew were wrong is a little chatter of laughter. Just that little bit of approval from his colleagues. And he is off to the races. So the fear of man can ensnare us outwardly just like that. There's probably something for you. There is something like that little chatter of laughter that you want from others. It might be just a place to sit next to them at lunch. It might be the fist bump, high five routine. It might be being a part of their social media group. Whatever it is, you have something like that. The fear of man ensnares us outwardly as it captures our behavior, but the fear of man also ensnares us inwardly. It ensnares us in anxiety. We begin to constantly worry about what other people think. Just constantly, just running all the time. What are they thinking? The fear of man ensnares us by turning us into calculating people. Constantly watching and analyzing people's reactions and fine-tuning our words and our actions to, to generate the kind of response that we want. That's being ensnared. The fear of man ensnares us in misery. I'm 43 years old. I've lived long enough to tell you the fear of man is not a fun way to live. 
It's terrible. If you are gripped by the fear of man, all of your happiness is dependent upon other people's approval, which is so hard to get and so easy to lose and so fleeting. If you find it, enjoy it because it ain't going to last long. The fear of man is a snare to us because it constantly turns us back in on ourselves. At its worst, the fear of man leaves you unable to think about anything but yourself. You're constantly bound up, consumed only with what other people think about you. And there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton. I wore my Chesterton shirt in honor of the man and this quote. This quotation has served me more than almost any other quotation, certainly more than any other on the fear of man. And listen to what G.K. Chesterton says. He says, oh, but how much happier you would be. Don't you want to know what comes next when I hear something like that? Tell me how much happier you would be if you only knew that these people cared nothing about you. (laughs) how much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. You could really look at other men with common curiosity and pleasure if you could see them walking as they are in all their sunny selfishness and their virile indifference. That's a kind of chunky phrase. He just means if you could just see people living their own lives, they don't care about you, they're just doing their thing. You would find that interesting. If you could think about that, you would begin to be interested in them because they were not interested in you. You would break out of this tiny and tawdry theater in which your own little plot is always being played, and you would find yourself under a freer sky in a street full of splendid strangers. (laughs) Take that to the bank. This is a quotation that can set you free because it takes Proverbs 29, 25 and lands it right in the middle of where we live. It sets us free because we begin to see that we've been ensnared by the fear of man in our hearts. We have been trapped by caring what people think. People who don't think about us much at all. And that is one of the biggest surprises of the fear of man is we are consumed with worrying about what other people think about us when in fact, they're hardly giving you a thought at all. The real beauty of being free from the fear of man is that you are then free to take an interest in others. There is no pleasure to be found in talking about yourself. You've heard all these stories before. You're tired of your own jokes. And here's the thing. Even if you can find somebody who takes an interest in you, and wants to hear about you, and asks you questions, and draws you out, if you want that from them, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Somebody could sit and listen to you all day, and you would finish the day, and you think, man, that was great. I'd like to do that again. But if you are free from the fear of man, you can take an interest in others and start asking, tell me about your life. What has God done in you? What have you learned recently from reading your Bible? How has God met you at advance? How have you learned through these sermons to honor your parents and love Jesus Christ more? You could learn something. You could grow from somebody else's example. That would be wonderful. You could step off 
that tiny theater in which your own little plot is always being played. And I promise you, you will find yourself under a freer sky. You don't have to put your foot in that snare. Proverbs 29, 25 warns us, don't do it. Don't put your foot in that snare. Run from the fear of man. But there's a second half. The fear of man lays a snare. It's good to be warned. But there's a positive part of this too. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If you're taking notes, this is the second point. Trusting the Lord keeps you safe. You don't have to go through life controlled by the opinions of other people. This is great news. What Chesterton is saying is not science fiction or fantasy. It's real life for the Christian who is growing in godliness. This is possible, people. You can do this. The Lord will set you free for this. Trusting the Lord is the antidote to every kind of fear. How exactly does this work here? In this case, trusting the Lord means choosing to honor God and obey God, to live for God, regardless of what other people might think. In other words, this is action in real life that has God in view. It's choosing to live as though God is real. Really believing that God is in heaven, that He sees all things, that He has given us commands about how He wants us to live, and that He takes seriously, that He cares how we do that. Trusting God is a very active thing. It's not just sitting back and waiting for God to do what He's going to do. And when you, when you trust in the Lord, you know you're doing this when you are willing to risk unpopularity for the sake of godliness. This is the real test. Young people, do you fear the Lord or do you fear man? Here's how you will know. Are you willing to risk unpopularity for the sake of godliness? Are you willing to be the one who starts a conversation in your circle of friends about something from church? About something about a sermon? About what have you read in your Bible lately? How can I pray for you? Where are you encouraged or discouraged? How is life hard for you right now? That's called fellowship. It's not as hard to get started as you might think. It feels awkward the first time. Maybe the second or third time you do it. But you'll get used to it. Are you willing to risk unpopularity for the sake of godliness? Are you willing to speak up? Are you willing to be that person who will speak up and put a stop to gossip? Are you willing to go out of your way to befriend someone who is on the margins? Someone who is unpopular? Someone who is uncool? Are you willing to be the person who doesn't listen to that band or watch that show because of the message and the lifestyle that they are promoting. Everybody else is listening. Everybody else is watching it. So what? You'll get over it. Are you willing to risk unpopularity? Because that lifestyle or those lyrics are dishonoring to God. Are you willing to refuse to use foul language? Everybody at work just cusses all the time. You're like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm going to speak differently. Are you willing to be deliberate, specific, to honor your parents in speech with your peers? 
when everyone else is expecting you to join in complaining? Are you willing to risk unpopularity for the sake of godliness? That's how you know that you are killing the fear of man in your heart. For this to work, we have to think the right way about God. Remember that title that I mentioned at the beginning, when people are big and God is small? We need God to begin to be big in our eyes. And men, people, friends, classmates, co-workers to become smaller. Jesus said in Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't fear them. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. No, rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Because whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Let's think about what it means to be safe. How does trusting in the Lord keep us safe? Well, first of all, and most importantly, resisting the fear of man keeps us from being pulled in multiple directions. It keeps us from being dragged along by the desire to impress others. Dragged along by the concern for what other people think. It frees us to serve the Lord and the Lord only. The person who is resisting the fear of man is the only person who is truly free. So many times I hear teenagers talk about freedom. Man, they can't wait to get older because they want freedom to do stuff. There's something you're thinking of right now. To go to a certain concert. To play a certain video game. To watch a certain movie or TV show. I don't want to curfew. I want to be able to take the car whenever I can. Whatever that is. That's not freedom if your desire to do that is driven by the desire to be like all your friends. That's slavery. That's the fear of man. The person who is truly free lives for, I love this phrase, the audience of one. There's a song we used to sing that sang about the audience of one. That is a great image. If you can picture one person on the front row watching your life trying to please him and him only, that is the fear of the Lord and resisting the fear of man. Just another way to talk about trusting God and fearing the Lord. There was a a British pastor named J.C. Ryle who died about 120 years ago. And he had this to say. He said, young men... And young women, you too. He was writing a book for young men. It was called Thoughts for Young Men. But this applies for young women too. Be of good courage. Care not for what the world says or thinks. You will not be with the world always. Can man save your soul? No. Will man be your judge in the great and dreadful day of account? No. Can man give you a good conscience in life, a good hope in death, a good answer in the morning of the resurrection? No, no, and no. Man can do nothing of the sort. Call to mind the saying of the good Colonel Gardner. <laughs> I fear God, and therefore I have none else to fear. Go and be like him. Mm, that'll preach. Go and be like Him. If you fear God, then there is none else to fear. There is no one else to fear. There's no one's opinion who matters enough to draw you away from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you fear God, therefore I have none else to fear. Go and be like Him. 
And look, you may not even see the benefits of doing this right away. This might make you unpopular. You might risk being labeled uncool or weird or sheltered or some other terrible, terrible name. Proverbs 25.3 says, No one who trusts in the Lord will ever be put to shame. There will be lasting and long-term benefits that come to you by resisting the fear of man and prizing the fear of the Lord. What the Gospel does for us is it teaches us that Jesus Christ came to set us free from this kind of slavery, the bondage to the fear of man. We don't have to live like this. The fear of man, it, it's a strong temptation in our hearts. I know it as well as anybody else. And I wish I was free from it. I can't wait for heaven to be done with sin. It's going to be great. But until then, we have Jesus Christ. We have His forgiveness and He sent us His Spirit to set us free from the desire to impress others and please others and to live for their approval and their opinion. And the, the fear of man does not have to rule us. Jesus sets sinners free from the power of sin. What the Gospel does is it teaches us to prize righteousness, to walk in obedience. It doesn't mean we'll never be tempted again, but it gives us a way out. Now Christians can have courage to obey because our allegiance has changed. Becoming a Christian means you are no longer a slave to the approval and the opinions of others. You have become a slave to Jesus Christ. And He has made us slaves of Christ together that we might walk together in righteousness. If we were to bring up the news of this morning... Listen, this is so important, guys, because we are going to need each other's help. If we could, if we pick your, pick your news media, Fox or CNN or anybody in between, whatever it is you like to read, you are going to see that there is a lot going on out in the world. We're going to need each other's help. Our problem is not just in here. We're going to go out into the world and all of a sudden, the stakes change a bit because it's not just, it's not just, well, do my friends at advance like me? There are people out in the world that hate what we live for, that hate this book, that hate the message of Jesus Christ. And we're going to need each other's help. It's an author named Murray Harris, a theologian. He says, Christians form, Christians form a community of emancipated people. That's us, guys. Christians, we're a community of people who have been set free. A community of emancipated people who have become fellow slaves in the service of Christ. They serve Him voluntarily and enthusiastically, motivated by love, and sensing their high privilege in belonging to and representing Him, and yet also their ultimate accountability to Him. Guys, we are in this together. This anxiety you feel about what your friends think it's nothing compared to what we're going to encounter out there in the world there are culture wars underway that are going to require some serious trust in the lord to be safe we live in a culture that is moving away from god and godliness very quickly 
Where is safety in a time like this? Only here. Only in trusting the Lord. Listen, young people, we need you to get this. The future of the church, it's in Jesus' hands. We're not concerned. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But one of the ways that the gates of hell will not prevail against it is as there is a new generation, you, your generation, coming along who is eager to stand strong in the fight for righteousness, for biblical truth about life and marriage and family and race and ethnicity and the priority of the Gospel for every human, the name of Jesus Christ, For every sinner, the world that we live in will call us terrible names. They will call us intolerant and bigoted and racist when we stand for righteousness. And they will do worse than call us names. We need you and your generation to be like the Apostle Paul. Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? That, my friends, is the question. That is the question. Are you seeking the approval of man or of God? You can't do both. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So which is it for you? Are we going to serve man or are we going to serve God? Are we going to try to please man or are we going to try to please God? We started this message talking about phobias. I didn't bring those up to make light of the real fears that people experience. But look, living with a fear of flying or a fear of the dark, that can be painful, but not as painful and not as dangerous and not as deadly as living with the fear of man. The person who lives for the approval of others is trapped on the roller coaster of painful disappointment and brief and shallow happiness. Young people, if you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will feel the freedom then to obey Him and to live for Him only. You will find true freedom and true joy, whatever else may come. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, We thank You for Your Word that equips us to understand our hearts, our motives, our desires. Help us understand why we do the things we do, why we say or don't say the things we say or don't say. Your Word helps us understand ourselves and the world we live in. And so I pray for every young person here that You would help them to see clearly in their fight with the fear of man. Let us be people who do not fear what others think. Let us only be concerned for you and your word and your opinion. God, we want to fear you. We want to walk in awe and reverence and love and joy and peace that comes from knowing you and serving you. Let us not crave the opinions of others. It's a tall order, and we need your Holy Spirit to do it. So help us, we pray. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who we love with all our hearts. Amen.